Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to the show. We appreciate you tuning in. I'm J.B. Hager. And I'm Michael Barnes. We're with the Austin American Statesman and, of course, Austin 360. And I, one, I've known Michael Barnes for some time, but having worked with you closely in the past year, I know that one of your favorite things to do as a journalist is talk to centenarians, people that have lived 100 years plus. Absolutely. I used to say... If you're in your 80s, if you've lived in Austin for 80 years, I'm interested in your stories. If you're in your 90s, there's probably going to be a story. And if you're in your 100s, there will be a story. <laughs> because if you've lived here for 100 years, you've seen a lot. Yeah, it's not like we're talking about London <laughs> if you're 100 years old. I mean, 100 years and you've seen it all almost. Right, right. I mean, it's a totally different town. And we know that from our time here. And... You know, multiply that by three. Yeah, as we sit here at the end of 2020, just the last five years, it's mm -hmm. almost unrecognizable. So, yeah, 100 years of being in and around Austin. And your subject that we're going to talk about today is shooty fast. Yes, shooty fast. How, again, I want to know how you find these people, or do they find <laughs> you? Or uh, Sometimes both. Sometimes there's, oftentimes there's a helper. There's somebody of a younger generation who says, hey, listen, my grandmother has Great Depression stories. <laughs> stories about the Great Depression, not about <laughs> emotional stress. But she uh, or, or, or my grandfather was a, a, a fighter and a pilot in World War II or something mm -hmm. like that. And, and so, of course, I perk up and pay attention. The great thing about having the younger generation involved is the email and the, we can do the fact checking that way mm -hmm. rather than talking to somebody who's 104 over the phone. And that's how old Shooty Fath is, 104. How long ago did you sit down with um, This was uh, for her 100th birthday, so four years ago. Okay. I've never seen the name Shooty before. S-H-U-D-D-E. Shooty. Shooty. And it's a, it was taken from her mother's maiden name, a German name. Schudemagen. So it's a shortening of that. She is just fantastic, a firecracker. And I had heard her name for years and years and years or read it because she's been an activist since the 50s. When the opportunity came up to interview her, I absolutely grabbed at it. And I've done a couple stories since then. One about her being the longest term subscriber to the Statesman. She has been subscribing <laughs> since 1939. Uh, did she tell you what a, an annual cost at that time? <laughs> yeah, she did, but I can't remember right now. We'll do a story on Statesman history. Oh, I love point. that. I love that. One of the things I like about her is you think about, okay, this is one lifetime and you're talking about German immigrants moving into the area, which a lot of them were at that time. That was their 
first language. Absolutely. And that was for her as well, which is which is a dying thing. Yeah. Well, it was for her mother. Her mm-hmm. mother was her first language. Shudi grew up in Bastrop. Her father was the town doctor. He was on call, you know, 24-7. He would go by horseback or carriage and then by Model T to serve black, white, he was the doctor of the whole community, and, his, and her mother had gone to medical school in Galveston as well, but she later told a relative that she was sorry she gave that up to have you know, all the children and to be a helper to you know, the doctor father. That activism, I'm guessing, was ingrained with her. As you mentioned, as a, a traveling doctor in the Bastrop area, he would serve any race, and that had to be ingrained in her. Absolutely. And she went to the University of Texas in the 1930s, where she met her husband. He was quite a bit of an activist as well. His name was Conrad Fath. Conrad's brother, in fact, was a big deal in political and educational circles. Creekmore Fath. Hmm. They all had interesting names. (laughs) Right. Well, let's add to it. She was valedictorian Mm -hmm. of her high school class. Going to the University of Texas, this would have been in the mid-30s. Right. You shared what it cost per semester. Oh, yeah. Fifteen dollars a semester when, when she It was a deal. <laughs> she worked on the side. She was a waitress and she was the manager of her sorority house, which gave her half cost room and board. She was just a, all over the place. We'll get into her activism, which is on two different fronts, Barton Springs mm-hmm. and utilities, power, right? Yeah, okay. Right. Both very good stories. We'll get into that in a second, but Along with her husband, they were not only political activists, and again, like I said, we'll get more into that, but they also ran a boat dealership on yes, Barton Springs. Yes, and it was one of the first places in town, the businesses, to get air conditioning, um, which Conrad insisted on. Shudi kept the books. Shudi got uh, her degree in business administration. She was a whiz at math. In fact, one of the reasons she was the scourge of the powerful on city council and other boards was that she'd say, well, you know, that would be wonderful if that were true, but your numbers don't add up. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about her activism. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, let's let's talk about the, the power side of things. Sure. The energy company. Well, her earliest activism was civil rights, I think. And that would have been the age for the 50s, 60s. Uh, but that bled into an interest in consumer protection. In fact, going back to the, the boat sales place, she had her utility bill went up one month from like $10 to $40 or something. And she was like, what is this about? So she dug into it and she found out that some places like hotels and so forth got a big discount. And she said, we're using the same wire lines. Why do they get a discount? We don't. And that's the way so much of her activism started is just bread and butter issues. So for the next, I don't know, 50 years, she was on the Public Utilities Commission, and she was always fighting for consumer equity. It, it sounded like it's it started as this sassy woman who, when mm. she comes in with the math, mm-hmm. she's not going to go anywhere, no. right? Well, and it, the other thing... She was a com- force to reckon with. Coming out of this grandmother-like image, you know, you see her, and you're not going to tell her you know, to go away. And she is so persistent. I mean, she'll get on the phone with me even up until the last couple of weeks and said, 
Michael, I think we need to do a story on X, you know, something important. Mm. I've only had like a handful of all women of people who would just call me and say, you need to do a story on X or whatever. And when she, and when she does this still periodically, you'll hear from oh, her? Yeah. Oh, and, uh, and you're going to pay attention to that. Oh, yeah. No, you <laughs> don't have I love that. Liz Carpenter was that way. There were a few other people that way that just called me up and told me what to do. Wow. I love that. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Well, let's talk about her other activism first, and then we'll talk about part of her career, which led to some change, too. She was very big on preservation of Barton Creek. She was an almost daily swimmer for decades, and she loved Barton Springs. She lived up above it in in a neighborhood there, and she, mid-century neighborhood. The fight for the water quality in the springs go back to the 1950s when they built Barton Hills and people knew that pollution from Barton Hills would come down and affect the springs. People were meeting in the Fath living room to to organize to protect the springs, you know, way, way long before you or I or any most other people became aware of environmentalism in this city. So she was the precursor to what most many of us would recollect the whole save our spring oh absolutely she was part of that group and there were others uh there's a wonderful new documentary out that's going to be on carol are you and also then streamed on carol are you called origins of a green identity by karen coker uh her team and it, it really traces this environmental story back 60 years People were organizing as early as the late 50s. Wow. People like Roberta Crenshaw, people are like Beverly Sheffield. These are some of the people, Mary Arnold, these are some of the people that are the patron saints of the environmental movement here. Now, part of her career led to some other activism. She, She worked for the Texas Workforce Commission. And retired in 1981 after 42 years, <laughs> which is incredible, right? But then they realized it not, there was an equal rights issue Absolutely. The, when the federal government said you have to pay women the same as men. Which we're still working on today. And, exactly. And this was the 1970s. And when she found out, you know, that she'd be paid less than people of the same level of confidence and so forth and, and service... She made a big deal out of it, and she got a giant award. On top of that, the well, the Workforce Commission had to put in more money into her retirement, assuming she would live to be maybe 75. <laughs> I didn't think about that. So part. she's still pulling <laughs> retirement out, and she, her way of putting it is that, yeah, folks down there at retirement look in the paper every day to see if I'm gone. <laughs> I didn't think about that. She's just jamming it to them every yeah. year. That's so great. And and you get, did mention it, too. It, it's, it wasn't just her living room wasn't just for the projects she was heavily involved in. Sounds like if you were any kind of activist in Austin, you were connected to her, and that that was the conference room. That's right. And she kept everything. She kept every memo that anybody put out, and, and she knew where it was, mm-hmm. which was scary to, to people in power. Because mm-hmm. She said, well, I have memo number 5,453, oh, and she donated... A lot of it to the Utility Commission's archives and also to the Austin History Center and to the Bastrop Historical Society Museum. Does she still live up on, in, in Barton Hills? No. She moved into Westminster retirement home, and, oh, okay. uh, which 
is a really nice place. Yeah, across from uh, Camp Mabry. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, I go by it all the time. No, on my it's bike. It, it. There have been other really nice retirement homes that have been built in 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 the city, mostly out to the west. But this one is where the old money mm. <laughs> retired. Yeah, and that one's been there a long time. It's been there a long time. Yeah. And they're fantastic staff. Everybody is very active. And, and you go and have lunch with somebody there. And you know people at every table because mm-hmm. these are a lot of times the coaches from UT or the politicians. It's the who's who of retirement homes. It's the who's home. who of retirement the, homes. Oh, the movers and shakers that formed our city. Huh? They're in People there stay very active, and huh. uh, I, I love visiting it every time I do. I feel that way sometimes when I go to Dirty Martin's for a hamburger. <laughs> it's like, and I my I took my dad there a year or so ago. I said, Dad, you don't know who you're going to see here. Yeah. I said, trust me. And then around the corner walks Ben Crenshaw. Yeah. And he's like, I have to meet him. Please introduce me. <laughs> well, and you could say that about Cisco's in the day. You could say that about the Chili Parlor in mm-hmm. the day. There were always these kind of diner places that, Greasy Spoon kind of places that attracted politicians. Because you know that people would be open to talking to you. And politicians, yeah. that's their coin of the realm is uh, chatter. <laughs> I imagine when you uh, talk to these centenarians and these amazing people, do, do you get a sense of it or do you even, or do you need to ask like what keeps them sharp? What, what makes them tick? She's, is she still, well, she's still a reader every day. Oh, absolutely. But a did you critical, get a sense of that? Critical what, reader. <laughs> yeah. What motivates her? I think that every one, and I have asked that question, everyone that I've ever interviewed and it's the same answer or variations on it. Keep your mind active and keep your body active. Mm-hmm. These are people that never really retire, retire. They just have this lust for life that is propels them. And she is just a force of, of nature anyway. So I, I delighted in all of our conversations. Well, I hope she listens to this podcast. <laughs> I'll try to sneak it to her. Yeah, just send her a link on that. Uh, hello, Judy. It's uh, I hope I hope to meet you someday. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. And uh, that story, of course, was shared at the Austin American Statesman and one of the volumes of Indelible Austin. That's correct. And you can get Indelible Austin at bookstores and gift shops or online. And the easiest place these days is book people because they ship right away. And they also have curbside service. And you can go into the shop. And thanks for tuning into this podcast. Share it with your friends. Share it on socials. Grab the link, whatever channel you uh consume these with and share it with your friends if you think they would enjoy these great Austin stories and characters. And happy trail. Thanks for tuning in. (laughs) Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.